Okay, y'all like, y'all like videos? Y'all like, y'all like videos, right? I love videos. I love things. Um, the title of today's message, if you have your notes, is Finishing Strong. Finishing Strong. Our text, we'll be continuing in 2 Corinthians. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10 through 15, right? But the title of today's message is Finishing Strong. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to finish strong? Right? Have you ever noticed you can start something really well? And you'll eventually end it. But that doesn't mean you'll, you'll finish it strong at the end, right? And a lot of times, to finish strong means that you may, wherever you start, and we usually start strong, that means there needs to be good habits and disciplines in the middle so that you can finish strong. But finishing strong is the hardest thing to do. It's hard to finish strong in marriage. Oh, man, it is hard to finish strong in marriage. Any of y'all who've been married for years, do you remember when you first said, I do, you had all these ideas and expectations of, what it was going to be like, the white picket fence, and you were just going to have all these great disciplines. And, you know, it, do y'all remember what it's like, all those things? And then you kind of get through the middle years and you kind of realize, like, wait a minute, I can't be lazy with this anymore. Like, I, I got to finish this strong. Finishing strong is hard. You ever started a new job, right? And you were excited. Like those first couple days, you had vision and a new thought. And it was like, man, I can see, I love working here. And then five years in, you dread a Monday, right? It's hard to finish strong. Amen? Hard to finish strong. You ever had the best of intentions of how you're going to disciple your family and you had this rhythm and there's all these things you want to do and you set out to do it, but then life happened and emergencies happened and it kind of crashed the habits. And before you know it, you're not finishing strong. It's hard to finish strong, right? Hard to finish strong. In our text today, this is the message that Paul's getting across to them. He's basically telling them, Corinthians, you started so strong. Now finish it. Finish this gracious offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. You started strong. Finish strong. Finish the offering. Now today, when we look in our text, this whole chapter of chapter 8, there's been no imperatives. No, this is a command. But Paul comes in and says, let me give you a command. Finish what you started. Finish it. Now, I don't know about you, but talking about money is a delicate thing, right? Like, now Austin, over the last two weeks, Austin was completely comfortable, right? He could have talked about money all day long, right? Doesn't even bother him, right? But most of us pastors, we get nervous about it. You could tell Paul in the, in the text, when we even, we'll get more next week and then chapter 9. Paul is taking great care of how he goes about this offering, right? He's pointing out that it needs to come from the heart. It's a grace gift. But in our text today, he comes to one part where he says, finish it. Finish it. Finish strong. Now, I've got a video I want to show you. We're going to kind of loop it. Um, this is an example of someone who did not finish strong. Right? Look at this guy. He's winning. Man, come on, everybody. Get up. Get up. Get up. Uh-oh. Didn't finish strong, did he? Now, watch his face. Look at his face. Look at his face. <laughs> you see this guy's face? We're going to keep looping it here. I mean... What an example of someone who did not finish strong, right? Keep, we're going to look at it again. Notice this guy. It'll kind, of, uh, it'll kind of loop. He thinks he's got it. He gets everybody cheering. Then all of a sudden, but now look at the guy's face. Look right here. Look, look, look. Now look at his face right here. In the last moment, he looks at something. That's a sign of somebody that did not finish strong. They thought they had it, right? If you've ever get to go back and look at this, I mean, 
the guy's face, it's complete horror as he, I think there's some monitor where all of a sudden he looks to the side and he notices that there's a guy who's coming up really fast and I've already downshifted and this guy has upshifted and there's no way. Look at the, do you see the, look, he's like, what happened? Finishing strong. Okay, you can take the, turn the video off. Here's an example of someone who didn't finish strong. Didn't finish strong. Started strong. Actually looked like had many strong habits, but in the end did not finish strong. I hope when we walk away from today's message, we get this idea of finishing strong. Would you stand in reverence for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in verse 10 through verse 15. Finishing strong. Finish strong this grace gift. Verse 10, Paul says this, I give my opinion in this matter. For this is profitable for you who were first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now complete doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it from what you have. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the relief of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Can I just ask God's blessing over this word once again? Um, Father, we, we need your help. There's so many applications of this text, but there is one um, big interpretation that Paul says, finish, finish what you started. Finish this grace gift. Finish organizing this grace gift. Finish the disciplines of giving towards this grace gift. Finish. Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We are people who are weak, who are vulnerable, who are distracted, who are dismayed. And downcast. And Holy Spirit, we need your help through your word to help us to grasp onto the idea of finishing strong. We need you. We need your help. Some of us need to renew our strength for our marriage, renew our strength for God's, for God's purposes in our singleness, to renew our strength to work as unto the Lord, to renew our strength in discipling our families, to renew our strength in sharing Jesus, to renew our strength in the disciplines of money management, to renew it, to finish strong in this. Help our weak knees. And God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Now, what's interesting, if you were to look over back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16 through 3, Paul did mention to this church some habits, right, for this collection. I'll, I'll read it for you. Paul said way back in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3, he said this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, right, as I directed the churches of Galatia, that's a, another region north of them, right? That's where the Bereans were, the Philippians were. So do you also, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to set aside something, saving whatever he has prospered, so that there are no collections to be made when I come. What Paul is saying is, Corinthian church, this 
generous gift offering that you wanted to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem, this grace gift, set aside money every single Lord's Day, right? The first day of the week. They came together on Resurrection Sunday, Sunday. Set it aside so that when I come, there's no trying to scramble around. Set this aside in a disciplined way so that you will finish strong in the end. Now, if you know the narrative of what happens in the text or what happens in the storyline, false teachers come in. They start to paint these bad ideas about Paul. They start to say that Paul is actually just a money grubber, which is funny because Paul never took any money from the Corinthians. And the Corinthians stop their their false beliefs about Paul and their false doctrine actually stop the generosity of their heart. So they really stop giving. But now we get to 2 Corinthians, and it seems that some repentance has happened in the Corinthian church. And now Paul says, let's get back. Remember this gift that you started a while back? I want you to continue to do it. I know you've stopped being regular in your gatherings to set aside this gift. I know you've stopped it, but let's restart it. Let's finish strong this gift. As we look through the text, we see a, a, a couple of outline kind of ideas about finishing strong. Look at point number one on your outline, and this will be verse 10. Finishing strong in giving, he says, because basically this is about a big gift. Finishing strong in giving because they desired to give it. He first says, you can finish strong, Corinthians. You can finish strong in this grace gift because you desired to give it. Now, this message in context is about giving. Now, what's interesting, don't, I have, I stand nothing to gain from this in the sense of this. This text right here is not about giving to your local church, right? It's not about making sure the pastor, making sure the church has enough tithe so that all of our bills can get paid. That's actually not the context of this, right? So free yourself. I'm not trying to raise money or anything of that nature. I remind you once again, I don't even know what anybody really, I don't even know what anybody gives, right? Um, I'm, I'm shielded from that. Now look in verse 10. He says this, I give my opinion in this matter. For this is profitable for you who were first to begin a year ago. Not only to do this, but also to, what does it say in the text? Desire. You desire to do this. So he's simply pointing out to them what they had already decided to do in their heart. They were brave enough to start gathering money for this offering. And he says to them, be brave enough to finish strong in this offering. Just because they had some initial enthusiasm doesn't mean that they that actually could carry them through. Everybody can start well, but can you finish strong? I think one of the ultimate examples of this is the children of Israel. Remember as they were coming to the promised land? Remember they sent out 12 spies? Each of these spies was from each of the tribes of Israel, right? And when they came back, how many of those spies said, we can't take the land? Ten, right? And two said, we can take the land. These were the strongest, the brightest, All of them started strong, but not all of them finished strong. Only two, Joshua and Caleb. So he says to them, you desire to do this. Paul says, I am only telling you what was already put, what you had already vowed before the Lord. And their their inward devotion, the Corinthians had already decided to give this gift in the past, past. What stopped them from their generosity was their own sin. And what stopped them was false teaching. But there was no coercion in this. Paul, when he comes here, he's not trying to coerce them out of a gift. He's trying to get back to their inward devotions. Kent Hughes said this one time. Jesus can have our money, but not have our hearts. But he cannot have our hearts without our money. So he was telling them, listen, you desired to do this. You wanted to do this. I'm not coercing you, but I'm bringing up to you 
from an accountability standpoint, this offering that you had dedicated to set aside the first day of the week and you put this offering aside to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, false beliefs have, took, have made you stop. A doubting of who I am has made you stop, but you've repented. Things are different. Let's pick it up. Let's keep going. Here's what I love about the idea of finishing strong. If we have gotten weak knees in the moment, now's a great day to start back. And why is that? Because that desire is still there. It really is. He's appealing. He's not trying to coerce them. He's saying that desire is still there. It's sin that has weighed you down. What commitments in life have, has sin weighed us down? Has taken away our strength? Has weakened our knees and weakened our hands? Well, you can go back to it today. You can finish strong. He says because you desired to. So Paul's just doing exactly what, what they had already said they would do. He's reminding it. He's bringing it up to them. It's a good thing. By the way, if you, have a, if you have a friend in your life who reminds you of the commitments you've made to Christ, that's a really good friend. That's a really good friend. Paul's being a really good friend right here. He is reminding them of what they had set out to do. If you have a friend that you have said one time, hey, I need some accountability in this area, and this is what I want to do, and then you stop doing it, A lot of times we get mad at that friend who comes back to us and says, Hey, Nick, don't you remember what you said you do? And a lot of times we get mad thinking like, Well, who does he think he is? Well, he's just doing what you asked him to do. So Paul's doing what they had desired to do. There's no coercion by Paul in this. Now go to point number two. So finishing strong in in their giving was because they desired to give it. But number two, finishing strong in giving... Because they committed to give it. They'd already committed. So Paul now makes an appeal in verse 11. Look in verse 11. Now remember, this whole time Paul has, he's been very careful. He's building out. You'll even see next week we'll look at the ethics of giving. Like if someone's going to ask you to give, they need to be able to make sure that it's ethical, that there's a a right place to give and it's handled right. You'll see that in the text next week. He's been very careful. But look in verse 11. Something's very interesting. He says this. But now... My translation, I have the Legacy Standard Bible. It says, but now complete. If you have an NASB, what's the word that it says right there? An NASB. Anybody have an NASB? What's NASB say? Finish, right? Finish. I actually think the NASB, I, I really like the word they use for this word here. But what's interesting about this word finish or this word complete it's in the, what's called the imperative mood in the Greek. The imperative mood. Meaning, it's a command. Right? Meaning, this is what you're going to do. Meaning, there's no if ands, or buts about it. You've committed to do it. Corinthian church, he's saying, now do it. Finish strong. All the excuses that you have, put them aside. End well. Do it well. Verse 11, he says this. But now complete doing, now complete doing it also. Imperative. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there also may be also the completion of it from what you have. You know, sometimes in life, have you ever just wanted to tell people just to stop it and do right? Right? You ever been that way where you're just like, man, I'm tired of holding people's hands and I just want to tell them to stop it and do right. You ever been there before, right? You just want to just like, just stop it. Well, this is kind of like Paul's stop it. It's Paul coming in and saying, I want you to understand that you have committed to this. You desire to do it, 
but also you have committed to do it. Now, what happens a lot of time with us when it comes to committing to do something is if we can't do it all the way, we basically say, then I shouldn't do it at all. If I can't do it all the way, then I shouldn't do it at all. So here's what I think in our own kind of pride and selfishness, here's, here's what we would be tempted to do if we were the Corinthians in this situation. Okay, we started strong. We were gathering up this gift. We were consistent with it. And then we didn't like Paul's ministry. We doubted it. All these false teachers had come in. We stopped giving towards it. And now Paul comes in and says, hey, you desire to do it. Now finish doing it. And our kind of idea is this idea of, man... If you can't do something right, don't do it at all. And now I'm kind of embarrassed. Why don't we just kind of let this one fade off to the side? People do this all the time, especially being generous. I've, 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 there's been this idea that people have sometimes is, well, I've got bills to pay. I've got things going on. And there'll be a day when I have no debt. And there'll be a day when everything will be paid off. And there'll be a day when I'll be like Scrooge McDuck, right? And I'll... Jump out my front door and swim through gold coins, right? Did that take any of you back, right? Scrooge McDuck to DuckTales. If the rest of you don't know, you're just not old enough, right? Friends, let me tell you. It's possible that day may not come. And it's possible that may be a long time. But just because things aren't perfect right now, don't wait for someday to be a generous person. That, they could have used a lot of excuses of saying, this basically was their excuse. Well... We were half-hearted here for a little bit now. Let's just, we're just not going to pick this up. Paul says, no, you desired to do it. You committed to do it. Let's jump back on the horse. Let's finish strong. Here's a question to ask ourselves. What is there in life that we've started strong, but we've not finished strong? Now, the, the truth is, all of us are going to finish. We'll either finish well or we'll finish strong. Either we'll be like this guy who gets at the most pivotal point in life and looks for the applause of man instead of finishing the goal, or we'll just wither away. Now look at point number three on your outline. We'll be in verse 12 now, right? Is everybody still with me? You okay? Amen? You still okay? You all right? Okay. All right, good. Look at point number three. Now remember, the context is giving, so that's why the point is formed out this way. You can apply this in many different ways, right? Uh, By the way, I thought um, Austin did a really great job um, in his sermon of bringing a great definition of generosity. And even, I told Austin, he did a great job in applying generosity in multiple different facets of life, not just the financial end. The definition that Adam, um, that, um, your name's not Adam, it's Austin, right? This is a great definition that Austin gave of generosity. It's freely and sacrificially giving to others what is rightfully yours for their benefit, right? Now, Paul's not making them do something they hadn't already committed to do. He's just bringing the accountability and reminding them. Now, look at verse 12. Verse 12, this is point number three in your outline. Finishing strong in giving because all God expects is for giving to be proportionate, right? Just to be proportionate. You can finish strong because what God calls is to proportionate giving. Look in verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. So he says proportionate giving. 
Proportion of giving. What has God provided for you? Now, if you remember earlier in chapter 8, he says that the Macedonians, which were north of them, the Macedonians, which included the Bereans and the Philippians, right? They had actually given out of their poverty, right? And for the Corinthians, they're in the area called Achaia, right? And the Macedonians gave out of their poverty, but he doesn't tell them to give out of their poverty. He didn't even say, give the widows two mites kind of thing. He just says, Give proportionately. Give what, give what you want to give. Give according to your means. So he's not even asking them to accomplish what the Macedonians did. The Macedonians gave out of their poverty. The Corinthians had actually sent a little bit more affluency, although they obviously did have poor among them. You wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have seen the great disparity at the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians if there wasn't poor among them. But what we find is this in verse 12. Proportionate giving is all that God expects and all that he expects out of the Corinthians. He doesn't expect the Corinthians to give what they don't have. He basically tell, he says, give according to what God has blessed you with. So in the Corinthian church, there were poor people. There were so many poor, there were poor people enough in the Corinthian church that the people with resources wanted to eat up all their food and drink when they came together so they wouldn't have to share at the Lord's Supper. So there obviously was quite a bit of people who didn't have all that great of resources in the Corinthian church. But also there obviously were rich people in the Corinthian church that had a lot of resources. And they, a lot of times, didn't want to share those resources. And so when it, they came to church and they came to the Lord's Supper, they'd eat up all their eat up all their food and then drink all their drink and they didn't use Welch's grape juice they used the real stuff back then right and they were getting a little tipsy from the communion wine and it was causing great division there was he comes in and he says listen you give what's proportionate what has God blessed you with what has God given you by the way you we can know that God has done a work on our hearts when it comes to generosity When's the last time we asked the Lord, God, what would you let me give? What would you let me give? By the way, this isn't a message about tithing or anything of that nature. um, But here's what I do love about the concept of tithing. It's a good place to look at. Like, if you're going to give 10%, that's going to be a place of sacrifice for most people in life. It really is. It's a sacrificial place. He comes in and says, "What's?" and it's a proportionate kind of sacrifice, right? Typically, 10%, whether you're low-income, middle-income, high-income, 10% is a substantial change in your life. We, we'll talk maybe at a little later point about that through, from, from you know, Genesis to Revelation on that idea. But you do see the idea of just the proportionality that something like a tithe gives. It'll affect any income bracket that gives it, typically. But what he says in his text is this. I don't expect you to give the way the Macedonians gave. I expect you to give as God has prospered you. And I don't expect in the Corinthian church, if you have little, whatever you give, when you give of a willing heart, God honors that, right? And, and those of you that don't have as much resource in the Corinthian church, don't, don't think that, that you're not making an impact. Those of you in the Corinthian church that have great resources, don't think that God has more respect for your resources. Clearly, don't we understand that Jesus takes a little and can stretch it very far, right? I mean, just, you know, for any of you who've ever been on a diet, I mean, you know what it's like, right? When you get on a diet and you're only allowed a thousand calories a day, right? Don't you pray that prayer once you eat your thousand calories and you say, Lord, like the loaves and fishes just multiplied inside my belly. You haven't tried that? Well, I have. It really doesn't work, right? But 
But you understand what I'm saying. Proportionate. They can get back. Now, remember, one of the things they would try to use was the idea of, well, uh, we haven't been given this whole time, so, you know, man, we just, we just probably shouldn't do it. If you can't do it right, don't do it at all. That was kind of the mentality. I would say, Paul's saying, no, jump back in. What has God given you in the moment? Start the discipline back. The Christian life is a new start and day by day of new starts, right? It's not uncommon that people fall down and slip up. And, but here's what I love about the Christian life. It's a time to fall forward, right? Don't be surprised if you fall, but also fall forward. For instance, if any of you ever had an infant, right? When an infant starts walking, what's an infant typically going to do? Fall, right? Now, those of you that have had an infant and they started to walk and they were making some efforts, right? And then they fell down. Did you walk over to that infant and go, you're so dumb. I just can't believe that you fell over, right? You ever done that before? I would suggest not to do that, right? I would suggest not to do that. No, what do we do? We pick them up. We encourage them, right? We go, way to go. We set them on their way and, and let's keep going. Do you think there's anything less from our Heavenly Father? People think all the time that God, God is just waiting to strike you down in some way that if you don't achieve perfection right now, that he just won't accept it. No, I'll tell you this. Start somewhere. Start giving yourself generously. Start giving proportionately. And when you stumble, stumble forward. And as you stumble forward, you'll be making progress, right? Now, you don't make progress, great progress all the time when you fall forward. But if you fall forward and you get up, you will be making progress. What he was trying to get the Corinthian church away from was this idea that, well, we messed it up, just give up, just kind of mail it in, and we'll just finish any way we really want to. No. He's saying, jump back in. Let's finish strong. What you started, let God, let God help you finish. Now go to verse 13. This is the last point. Finishing strong and giving because of equality. Equality. Look at verse 13. He says this, For this is not the relief of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Look at verse 13. For this is not for your relief of others but uh, and for your affliction. The accusation was that some of the Corinthians were saying, wait a minute, why are we helping these, why are we trying to help these poor saints in Jerusalem? It's making us struggle and we're making life better for them. That doesn't seem fair. Why are we doing that kind of thing, right? So he's trying to get back to this idea and saying, listen, this grace gift that you said you do, that you desire to do, that I am pointing to you to get it done, I'm not telling you that so that I can just bring affliction on you. I don't want to get something from you as much as I want to get something for you. And what is the for? There's this equality that you'll start to understand with the body of Christ. You'll start to understand that God has given you plenty, and you've got brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that are suffering, that your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem have had a severe impact on why you are even a church congregation today, and that they have helped your spiritual needs, you helped their physical needs, and you see in the text that there may be a day that you are in need. They may have plenty, and then they're going to turn around and help you, right? There's this equality. So look right here in verse 14, he says, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also be a supply for your need. That there may be, at the end of verse 14, what does he say? Equality. He said, get, get, 
nothing is strong, this grace gift, because there's an equality that God has given to his people, right? An equality. Everybody is on level ground before the cross. The rich, the poor, it doesn't matter. All are sinners condemned to a, to the, to a life in, in, um, in the lake of fire, experiencing the wrath of God, whether you're rich or poor, no matter what family you come from or ethnicity you are, all are on level ground before the cross. All are the same equal need of grace. So he says, they're in need of grace right now financially. You can help them. There may be a day that they help you. The body of Christ is large, is wise, wide, is expansive. That's why even if God is leading you to give some resources to churches that are in Israel that Jews for Jesus knows about and can funnel those resources, that's the way that you're helping those who may be in a struggle even right now. Is it because of equality? Look in verse 15. He says, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, but he who gathered little had no lack. He who gathered little had no lack. Now he's pointing back to Exodus chapter 17. You remember what happened in Exodus 17, right? There was something that came from the heavens that you had every single morning. Does anybody remember what that was? What was it? Manna, right? By the way, did they ever complain about manna? Yes, they did. I just want to say something. I'm a sinner. I know if I was there, I would probably would have done worse. I know it. I know it. But come on, for real? Like, how awesome would it be not to go to Walmart anymore, right? That the groceries are just in your front yard, and you just got to walk out there and just pick up this stuff, right? How awesome is that? I just want to say, so awesome. Well, here's the thing about when you look in Exodus chapter 17, that when the man was there on the ground, you got a certain amount was for you and your household, right? And then if you had a lot of people in your household, there was enough and it would supply need. If there was someone that had less in their household, they would get it and it would supply the need for the day. And it was really interesting. When you gathered, you never had to worry, was it going to be what you needed? It was always just the right amount, right? Those who gathered a lot had just what they needed. Those who gathered a little had just what they needed. And even God was so good that on the Friday when they gathered, they would have enough to take them through the Jewish Sabbath, right? On that Saturday. Because God made sure that everybody had an equal distribution. Now, lest you want to jump to conclusions, I'm not talking about some form of Marxist communism or anything in this. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is this. All of them were on level ground before the bread manna, right? All of them. All of them were in need of that same bread, All of them had access to that same bread. All of them had access, and all of them got exactly what they needed. As in this message, I want to point out something. This equality that we see right here, Paul's applying it from the idea of you have resources, Corinthians. The poor saints in Jerusalem don't. You can help. There may be a reversal. They fed you of spiritual needs. You receive spiritual from them, supply them material but also there's this other, dive, uh, other idea of equality. And we celebrate it here in a minute when we take the Lord's Supper. Just like for Israel, that the manna was, was equal before everybody. Everybody was on level ground before the bread of heaven. And all of us today are on level ground before the true bread, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter where you came from or where you're going. All are in need of forgiveness of sin. All are in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. All are on level ground before the cross. And here's what made communion so 
so special. And why, if you look back in 1 Corinthians, that when the rich were drinking up all their wine and taking up all the resources so they wouldn't have to share it with the poor, God killed some of them and some of them got sick. And here's why. Because communion was this one time to celebrate the body and blood of Christ. And it was meant to say, everybody is on level ground before the cross. Everybody is in need of God's grace. Everybody needs salvation. And everybody needs to rehearse the good news of the gospel so that they can grow in the Lord every day. It was a position of equality. Paul says, come in, finish strong. Finish strong because we're all on level ground before the cross. If someone has a need, if God's given you the ability, supply that need because we're all on level ground. If someone needs grace and needs a word of encouragement, supply that need because we're all on level ground. If we've sinned against somebody else, we can, we can confess our sin because we've been forgiven so much more by the Lord because we're all on level ground before the cross. Would you stand to your feet and we're going to sing a song and then take a time of taking the Lord's Supper because we're all on level ground before the cross and all are equally in need of the Lord's grace. We cannot pray for us. And if you're here this morning and maybe the grace of Jesus has not met you in your life, maybe you've not, you've not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to pray for you this morning. And then I want to pray for the rest of us. Would you pray with me? Father, if there's someone here who, this hasn't been an overt salvation message, but you, your spirit can do whatever it decides to do. If there's someone here who has not admitted their sinfulness, admitted and come to the realization through the Holy Spirit that they deserve the justice and judgment of God for their sin. Now would they call out to you? Would you let all the gospel seeds have been planted today? Would you let it be the day that the harvest comes? Let them trust you as Lord and King. Let them call out to you. Let them, by faith, accept the wonderful gift of salvation, their sin for your righteousness, for your sinlessness. Put it on their account. Bring them to faith today. Jesus, for the rest of us, may we once again renew our understanding of your grace for us as we take the Lord's Supper. May we remember our sins that are been forgiven by you. May we reconfirm our love for you. May we reconfirm even right now where we need to forgive, who we need to forgive. And may we be back to a level ground of equality in the body of Christ. Bless this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed a prayer of trusting Christ as Savior, would you let me know? Would you let somebody know today? We want to tell you about the next steps that God has for you in your walk with Christ. Now let's sing, church, and as, as the communion elements come around, and then we'll take communion together right after the song.